You're listening to the Construction Educator Podcast. Jim. Emily. Hi. Miles. Welcome. Thank you for being here. It's good to be here. In Reno. No, in Sparks. One time I got a real talking to yes. about the fact that this conference is not in Reno. It's, it's, it's the train tracks outside. Yes. Yes. That's the I heard about this. The big, the, the train track. Deal. Separates the two. Right. Okay. Um, let's, Miles, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Miles Anderson. I'm a manager on the Procore.org team supporting our educational and nonprofit partners. And I am Emily Heppard. I'm the academic manager at Bluebeam. And I work with our university training center partners and high schools all around the globe. And we're joined by Jim Sullivan, the undergrad director of the Rinker School of Construction Management from the University of Florida in Gainesville. And? And several other things I do. Right. So I'm oh, also a uh, lean director for a GC in Gainesville focused on healthcare. And I also work for or with workforce development agencies around the state of Florida and some national training programs. It's a lot. It's, it's it's a full schedule. It's a fair bit. Yeah, it's a fair bit of, of things. Um, one thing that we ask all of our guests, our interviewees, to to tell us a little bit about before we get started talking about your work and all of the educational opportunities you provide for students is we would like to know where did you grow up and how did you first get interested in building? So... Um, the formative years, as you like to call them, yeah. were in Clearwater, Florida, and seventh, eighth, ninth grade, worked for a plumber, uh, Mr. McCleskey. He'd drop you off with a bucket of tools and some sink parts and say, I'll be back in a couple hours. <laughs> so um, you had to learn to be kind of efficient and you know learn ways to um, put stuff in without breaking more stuff because mm-hmm. you didn't appreciate that. And then you heard about it. And um so did that and then worked construction pretty much um, all the way through high school and all the way through college and grad school the first time. So I think I'm going to date myself here. I think minimum wage was 385 or something and I was getting nine, 10 bucks an hour to swing a hammer. So I didn't mind swinging a hammer. Um, wasn't really good at it, but I was, I was early and I, I worked long days. So um, I think it, it worked out. I think I, I, when I, got through college, I was like, I never want to do that again. You know, worked harder than anybody else doing anything else that I knew mm-hmm. of about my peer group. Um, but then just missed it. So traveled the world doing consulting, mostly yeah. productivity improvement in the lean staff, but on a corporate level. And then just really just wanted to go build stuff again. That's how I landed back at Rinker. Um, got a master's degree, worked at Clark. Um, up in D.C. and then came back and got a Ph.D. at Florida and taught. But overall, I think someone asked me to add it up. And guys, I don't know why it's a maybe guy thing, girl thing, but it's uh, I'm hitting a billion dollars worth of construction work in my career. And I oh, think I'm going to. The big billion dollar I know, mark. And I used to, and it's funny because we heard some salty old superintendents talk about it when I was younger. And I was like, <laughs> man, I'm never going to get there. You know, it's like like an RBI record or home run record, you know? Yeah. I feel like I should name a, a, I don't know, a excavator after me or something. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do to celebrate? Um, I don't know. Retire? Think about that. Well, oh, hmm, good one. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, so going back to, you know, after you got your PhD, you started teaching. What what got you into teaching? And it was really uh, a lifestyle choice, um, you know, family choice. Wife was a, a neo-doc and the peers in D.C. had a morning nanny and an afternoon nanny. And um, that wasn't for me. I mean, it was maybe control issues, maybe being responsibility for time, but I knew myself well enough that the job would come before the kids. Yeah. I knew if I had a concrete pour, they were going to have to figure it out and I was going to be gone. Yeah. And I knew myself well enough to go, yeah, that's not, it's not the next 12 years of my life I want, you know, or 14 years. So, um, Charles Kibbert at the university of Florida was an open door. <clears throat> I have all my degrees from there, you know, um, and just decided to go back and it was great. It was a great quality of life decision. You know, the one side, they talk about life work balance. The one side out of university is you do know your start date, you start time and you do know your end time. And there's rarely an emergency, you know, yeah. there's rarely yeah. a form work that falls off the edge of a building. You know, mm -hmm. there's rarely, you know, the, the concrete pumps don't break down at 2am. You know, you just, so you end up having, if you're a, if you have a superintendent mentality, you have control issues by nature, you know, and it just let, it just gave me control of that. Um, and it's been great. I mean, it's been great. It's been a great career. It's been a great place to be. Um, feel lucky enough to have gotten my education there and got to stay. Um, so obviously, you know, having gone there, I'm a big fan of the program. Um, and then get to influence the outcomes now. You know, so again, tying in the stuff I see every day to the classroom, keeping the program current, um, all of the ACCE, which is accreditation body, sort of scripted the material we're supposed to teach, you know, six hours estimating, scheduling, all that sort of stuff. And it, that can get locked into a pretty set formula for some faculty. Um, so for us, it's to kind of push that envelope and to get them to be current, um, so my role is great. You know, I walk in and be like, you know, yesterday on a job, we had this problem and we mm -hmm. talked through it. So I teach a pre-professional class before they graduate and and they get a 20-minute, it's scripted, you know, it's not random. Like there's a reason for the story, um, but it's all current. It's not, you know, 17 years ago at Clark, this happened. It was like, hey, you know, yesterday I, had, I was in a parking lot, you know, screaming at a superintendent, just... And I mean, the, the cool part about construction is you can scream at a superintendent and then go to Buffalo Wild Wings and have lunch. I know, love like. Buffalo Wild Wings. I actually ate it last night. Full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> um, Please send gift cards. No, too. that's that's a really interesting, and I think um, that is going to come up in one of our other interviews that we have um, coming up in the series about sort of those dynamics and that culture of being able to scream at someone or um, having that sort of like antagonistic dynamic. Do you, do you find that you view that a little bit differently with your sort of split roles being in academia, having, having sort of a foot in industry, a foot in academia, do you find that that makes you maybe different? Um, I, th I think it's different because I was a guy swinging a hammer and you carry those lessons your whole life, yeah. you know, like you remember how you were treated. Um, you know, I remember 
you know, painting without a respirator and just fumes everywhere. And now that's a very passionate thing for me. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if they don't have it, I'll get it for them kind of thing. I think, you know, where I come from, it's you grow up around construction, you grow up around people with tempers and people that only have one point of view and that ego mentality is I made up my mind before I asked you a question. Mm -hmm. So why ask him my question? Because I have no value if that's the case. Um, But I mean, I think we teach them that, you know, everybody's coming from, it's most of the stuff we do with construction is opinion. I can start on the east side and work west, or I can start on the west side and work east, and these are my thoughts or why. But there's no, rarely an absolute, this is the only way we can do it, you know. And in terms of temperament, you know, the the phrase I was always taught is mad fixes nothing, you know. And, And then the other thing about antagonistic relationships is, I can agree that that's your opinion of me, but I'm not agreeing with what you're saying about me. Sure. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if, if I was sending you home today because you failed a test three times, I'd probably be saying the same thing to me as you got in your car and drove away. <laughs> that's your opinion of me, but I'm pretty sure the people I work with and the people I care about me don't have that opinion mm-hmm. of me. So, so you have to sort of like take a step back and... Yeah, I mean, um, construction's hard, it's long days, people are tired. You don't know how they deal with that. Mm-hmm. And then for the most part, you know, we have a running, you know, and this is probably too much for the, a podcast, but, you know, oh, it's like keep it going. most people get upset if they're tired, hungry, thirsty, or someone said no. <laughs> I mean, it, he's not <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Yeah. So, so for us, I mean, literally nine times out of 10, it's the same thing. I, t- I was joking about Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, and the guy's going nuts. I'm like, Hey man, let's go across the street and eat. Yeah. Just sort of take it down. And, and, and he, I mean, he, he ate more food than I could ever eat. And he's like, man, I really needed that. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And we walked across the street and a week later he's sending me the stuff I asked him to do, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it's, it's not that. I would, and again, pe- you know, people don't like change and risk and he had a way of doing it and it was um, not the most efficient way or maybe probably maybe more of an optimistic way because we like being optimists in construction. Yeah, we'll get it done by Friday. Yeah, we'll get it done by Friday until Friday. And then we're like, oh man, Tuesday was rough. You know, mm-hmm. couldn't get that done on Wednesday. So um, I think that's the stuff you impart, impart to students is, you know, hey, if you're in an environment and somebody's raising the temperament of the meeting, you know, it's usually not about what you're talking about. Mm. It's usually a dozen other things yeah. that's impacting this conversation. A dozen other relationships like this one, but not with you. Mm-hmm. A dozen other arguments about this with other people, but not you. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody brings in sort of their means and methods um, and opinion. And you have to find a way to work through that. So for... For our students, it's the same kind of thing. It's your, I think that's the nice thing about the blend between education and industry is it's easier to explain um, if you have a somewhat, I mean, enlightened is too strong a word. I'm not enlightened, but sort of open view of how the world works. Yeah. Um, I think it helps them understand um, the process and flow. I mean, we get to jobs at, you know, 5 a.m. and leave it for it's a long day and a lot of things can happen in a day. Mm-hmm. So with that, are you sort of teaching them to develop an awareness of their own susceptibility to 
am I hungry, tired, someone said no. That sort of thing, like developing awareness of their own um, tendency to get elevated in a situation so that they, or is it more so like being aware of someone else's so it's behavior? A, yeah, it's a combination. So just in relative to class and the things that I've found mo- most powerful, um, and I use them in both class and job site trailers is... Um, what's your personality type? What's your decision tree? You know, mm-hmm. sort of those, not a Myers-Briggs, but there's all sort of disc assessments where yeah. you're like, hey, um, I, you know, I'm an eagle. I just make decisions. You know, I'm, I'm a dove. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So I'll just do all their work. Sure. You know, some people just don't like being left alone. They'll jump in a ditch if someone else jumps in with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's more, and then we do a 360 review before they graduate. Hey, you were here for two years, everyone's going to judge you across these five things. And you got to decide just based on the numbers, would you hire that person with those numbers? Mm. So they all get their own scores. So it's like worth work ethic, absentee, whatever, whatever. And some of the kids that think they can just roll through it, all of a sudden they realize 40 people in the room are rating them across these good five tendencies you want an employee and they're getting less than threes across the board out of five. So then they get to reflect, this is my brand. I mean, everybody walks in a room with a brand. Like everybody walks in a room with expectation. Everyone walks in a room with, you're going to deliver this because you're at the table. Um, and I think those guys, they get it. I, it. Fortunately, I see them their first semester junior and their last semester graduate. And they get that talk on the first day. And then they get it on the last day. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky that I kind of catch them coming and going. What a valuable lesson to learn. Yeah, I I hear so I hear so often in industry that you know students coming out of university programs they know they know the concepts but they don't always have those soft skills where you want to put them in yeah. front of a client or to settle a dispute with another contractor on the job and I, I think it's great that it's emphasized and you make their student aware of that. Do you is there a way you teach for it specifically or like how do you instill those lessons beyond you know telling stories of situations you're dealing with and those final couple of years of the program. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it's hard. I think, I think everyone it's life experience that gives you a personality, right? You come in with a set of DNA, you're, you know, it's sort of like your horoscope mentality, you know, you're optimistic, you're not optimistic, you know, it's sort of like yeah. the Chinese theory, you're born in a year and you have these personalities, mm-hmm. you know? So I think everybody kind of walks in with that, but I think you do learn professionalism. What I, what I try to emphasize with them more than anything, I'm not trying to get them to change, but to get them to understand their voice and then their voice with inside their company. So every company has a culture. My biggest thing is, you know, the corporate culture of the mothership versus the job site trailer. Mm. You know, so you have corporate ethics. You know, you sit through a class that says, thou shall not do this, right? Shall's are biblical. Shall's what your mom says. You don't have a choice, right? Yeah. You shall clean your room. That's not a choice. Right. It's like you shall not buy subcontractors lunch. And then you get in the job site trailer and the PM's like, hey, I'll get that. You know, I'll pick up the tab. I'll pick up the tab. You know, and it's sort of, I think everyone, as I've gone through my construction career, I mean, I wish I applied it more to my personal life, maybe, but as I've gone through my construction career, there are traits of someone that you think are admirable that you want to be like. And there's traits of people that you would never say that to a person, sort of negative traits. So I think what I ask them to do is realize 
you're going to morph based on the mentors you have when you graduate. Mm. Wow. You know what I mean? So and choose wisely. So eventually. just be aware of it. You know, I mean, we used to joke, you know, and again, this is probably maybe a little off topic, but we would have, this is um, so on topic. we would have, you know, some kids show up in, you know, J Cruz skinny pants. And by the end of the summer, he's wearing Carhartt and baggy jeans and Timberlands because that's what the superintendent wears. So you can just take that simple morphing in 14 weeks as good traits and bad traits throughout the next 30 years of their career. Like if it's okay if you want to be like that person and walk like that person and talk like that person, but pick good people to be like, yeah, and then oh, filter wow. out the stuff that you don't want to be right. Mm -hmm. So, and I tell them the same thing about people that work for me. It's like, Hey, I have, a reasonable set of good traits, but I have a handful of ones that drive people nuts. So like, let's do it all. Mm, I might have more than a handful. <laughs> I have two handfuls. Nice. I have a, I have a wagon load. A bucket full. I have a lot. <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, I try to, I try to work on, I try to cross them up every year though. So <laughs> that's, that's a good, that's a good endeavor. Um, so I also wanted to, um, Talk about your sort of coming from the trades or work in the trades, and then you started a partnership or maybe program, I'm not quite sure what you call it, um, called Build Your Future Florida. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and, and how you did that? Yeah. So, construction's unique in the sense that you hear there's a labor shortage, you hear that, you know, young people aren't interested in it. Um, and then the question I ask is, well, you know, every relationship is 50%, you know, you and 50% them. And I'm like, what, ha what's our 50%, you know, how many high schools have you gone and talked to? How many students have you recruited at Starbucks? How many people have you given your business card to? You know, and usually, and the answer is usually none. You know, that we're, we're, we're sort of this, I grew up, it's a great career. You can make a lot of money. It's, um, a good way to support a family. You know, the hourly rate's pretty solid. Um, you learn a skill. If you're good at it, you'll never be without a job. And then I'm like, well, what have you done? You know, what local apprenticeship program do you support? You know, um, do you know the people responsible for the one program in the one high school in your county? How much support do you offer them? You know, we'll get, you know, we're blessed at Rinker that people support us or our project management. But I'm like, hey, you know, there's, it's great. But, you know, what do you do locally? Um, so I try to engage, start, started with engaging our local alumni to say, hey, these golf tournaments are amazing. I, you know, I mean, they pay for staff, they pay for paper, they pay for upgrades on our computer lab. But I'm like, hey, what else do we do? You know, um, so we started uh, getting together with associations of associations. So there are 14, 16 licensed trades in the state of Florida. They all have associations from the pool installer to the electrician to the plumber, HVAC guys. So we try to get those guys together to say, hey, we're all recruiting in our own little ways. We're all kind of trying to make this work. Um, and construction's a really hard thing to work, work for and through. And to find your way, because we all need people, but the local electrician only needs two guys. We may be short 500 electricians in the state of Florida, but there are 68 counties, and they all may be short, you know, 
seven or eight, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So how do you pull that and how do you get them trained? And then, you know, you train them and then they leave um, to go to other places. But um, so we try to get the associations of associations together. Um, we're fortunate that the NCCR has sort of a web portal already designed. So they had three, two of them already together, already created. And we're competitive. So all I had to say was, hey, you know, there's Build Your Future here. We don't have one in Florida. Let's get this done. Um, and if you give people a very tan- tangent, you know, a, a, a solid thing to do, they're really good at supporting it. You know, abstractly talking about we don't have enough Maybe people in construction, abstractly yeah. saying we don't have enough people. Right. I mean, my issue is I think we have, I don't think we have a labor shortage from my perspective. We have a bitter shortage, meaning we, we used to have three Mason companies in Gainesville. We now only have one because we've lost that person with the entrepreneurial skills or the skill sets or the financial capacity to do that to hire other people, you know, like our Spanish speaking graduates. I'm like, you know, you you start a company tomorrow, you will start a drywall company, start a plumbing company because that's a pretty solid labor force. It's probably one of our, in my opinion, the, you know, arguably the hardest working labor force we have in the state of Florida that would help me as a general contractor because mm-hmm. now I need bidders and I need sort of competitive hungry bidders. Cause right now I think that's going to be, that's what's influencing design, which is interesting. You know, there, there are no Masons in certain places. So I have to use precast or I have oh, to use wow. stucco. Yeah. So it's one of those, we talk about prefab and where my, my futuristic talk is all about that. It's not, it's not that we're so futuristic in the sense that, we're going to go modular because we need to go modular and we're not even going modular because we don't have enough labor. Cause I'm just putting labor in that factory to make that unit. I'm just shifting the labor. Mm-hmm. So I have labor. The reason I'm going modular is I don't have the craftsmen in those local communities. Cause when we don't travel for construction, no one, you're not competitive if I'm paying somebody 20 bucks an hour and then an extra 35 bucks a day in per diem, you know? So what's, what's influencing our markets in prefab and the futuristic designing for that is that when you actually go there and talk to the general contractor, you know, that's, we face it every day. You know, we've, we've always done masonry buildings. Well, if we do that, it's going to be this because there's no one to compete in that market, mm-hmm. you know? So that's part of the skills gap is also this entrepreneurial person that kind of left in 2009, that would be 10 or 15 years in the industry that would want to start their program. Mm-hmm. That's the gap that we face um, from a contracting, best serving the owner, competitive bid situation. Yeah. And I, I think it's great that you're encouraging the industry to engage with the, the next generation to enter construction with a specific ask of mm-hmm. things they can do. Um, just kind of curious about some of your other partnerships with like, you know, government agencies, workforce development associations. I I think you have a really unique perspective from, you know, you are teaching, you're still working on projects in industry and you have a lot of outside partnerships going on as well. Yeah. I think, you know, traditionally we have a couple of different ways workers get trained and what skill level, right? So you have kind of just general labor and then you have craftsmen and then you have sort of journeymen and sort of the licensed trades tends to be sort of those journeymen official you know, card carrying, you know, um, 
electricians. What we try to do is the same drop in 2009 impacted those programs. So Florida is unique in that we don't have a department of labor. We have a department of economic opportunity. So the apprenticeship programs goes through the department of education, which you think wouldn't be that big of a deal. You think it would probably be advantageous as an educator. I think it's advantageous. Most of the training takes place in schools, you know, students, you're used to going to that place. If you grew up in that community to get educated, um, but the um, money in order to go in one of those programs, you need a sponsoring company. So when work fell down and hit a shortage and those companies were laying people off, they weren't sponsoring people to be in those programs. So they literally went from 30 people a year in a carpentry program to no carpentry program. Mm-hmm. And then how do you reboot that? Because then you have no instructor that was really good at that carpentry program. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just became this really hard thing to kind of reboot and do. So um, we're a, we're a um, open shop kind of environment. So AGC doesn't train um, in Florida. They'll do superintendent and sort of high level courses there, but they don't do any task skill training. So we go through um, ABC, which is great. And they still have their open shops where you can go through the apprenticeship program. But you, you know, that, that, that journey is a little different, I think, even for this generation. You know, most of those are two, three, four-year programs. You do 200 years of education and 1,800 hours in the field, 2,000 hours a year is worth of work. Um, and a lot of this workforce, they're not seeing three or four years down the road. You know, they want modular, they want quick, they want online, they just tell me what I need to know. But they also want the certification when they're done. Sure. So trying to figure out how to bridge that you know, is, is really the hard part um, because traditional training was we're not going to give you the one thing you need to know. You've got to sit through all of this structured coursework. Yeah. You know, you want to be a math major. Well, you got to take English. And you're like, oh, I don't really want to do, you know. So these guys are like, I want to be a welder. I don't know about, you know, the safety thing I have to take. You know, I mean, they just want to know their task. So as an industry, we're trying to flex and respond to that. And NCCR is trying to make it more portable and modular. And um, the Masonry Association is going to uh, um, roll out an online, fully online training program um, so that if I have an instructor with maybe two or three students, it's not that much of a burden. I can have that, you know, I don't have to create all the material. I just have to review it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to take some of those bottlenecks away. At least that's our hope. That we can kind of, you know, get it out and make it more local and regional. Mm. I it sounds like you're absolutely on the right track because you're listening, you're seeing those trends, and you're responding to them rather than just running like pushing ahead with you know something that maybe isn't working as well. But we also, because you are so knowledgeable and you have such amazing experience and amazing access, we want to know your perspective kind of what's next in construction education or how you think this field is going to evolve, you know, over the next 10 years or so? I I think it's, you know, everything kind of trends one way or the other. I think the latest thing has been um, awareness of the other professionals, um, you know, within your university experience. So, Um, getting engineering students and construction management students in the same classroom for the same experience. Yes. Getting architects in the same room for the same experience. Yes. Um, 
I mean, I think it's, I don't know, it's somewhat misguided at times. Um, you know, you hear industry saying we got to, you know, we really have to get them integrated and stuff. And most of the industry is reflecting on a project that just failed because the project manager wouldn't pick up the phone and call the architect. <laughs> you know, like we're very integrated delivery system. Mm-hmm. You know, I call architects every day and they're happy to talk to me and quick and on the point and super smart. I mean, you cannot deliver a project unless you're completely integrated. So I think there's a little, you know, shade being thrown on the fact that we don't get along because we get along really well. I mean, really well. You have to. Yeah. Man, I I don't like traffic. Why do I want to fight with an architect? Like, there's only so much energy I got in a day. (laughs) You know, like... Only so many fights I can have. There's only so many fights I can have. You got a ball of energy. You can can only spend it so many places. You know, I don't want a gray cloud environment. I think so many people talk about construction about, oh, it's... How, how much of it ends in litigation right. and it, it just Us comes off them. as very contentious. And I, I think most people know, well, to get results, you need to work as a team. It's an ultimate team sport yeah. to deliver a project. And um, yeah, it's, yeah. It, and it's, it's uh, definitely misunderstood or people get passionate. You know, if, if I'm in a room with, you know, 20 um, construction company owners and someone mentions we're only get integrated they all jump on that bandwagon and I'm like, what about your good jobs? You know, and they're like, we all hate risk. We all hate losing money. So if I have a job where no one talked, then they weren't integrated, you know? Um, So I think, I think it's definitely something students should be aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, We struggle with accreditation, where to find the hours to put them together. We struggle with, you know, they're really not excellent at some things until their last semester. So you want to integrate a design team with a construction manager and have them get together. Well, unless the kid already got through estimating too, he's probably not going to be super great at giving you like cost analysis during your design. So we struggle with that flow yeah. of work. So we created a freshman class that puts them all together. So it's like, hey, maybe the the best of all worlds, your, your roommate's an architect. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see what they go through. And socially, you break down those barriers because it's hard for us across the board. I think this, and then, and then some, it's hard to just integrate across the board. And then some programs are really small. There's some CM firms that don't have an architecture program at that university, you know, that don't have an engineering firm or they're isolated in this program or that program. Um, so I think it's a goal. I think that's, I think it's more, um, me personally, I don't think it's the epidemic that people make it to be. I mean, I'm on 12, 14 jobs a year and everyone knows how hard it is and everyone works together. You know, I don't have an adversary relationship on a job. Yeah, someone made a mistake. We all make mistakes. You know, we we tend not to look back. If I looked backwards in my life, I I wouldn't get anything done in a day. You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, you, you go, okay, that was, that was something that happened and we're moving on, right. you know, and, and it's amazing how everybody gets together. I was on a job where we started with nine foot ceilings and then it was eight, six, and then it was eight, four, and then it was eight feet because of all the design things they missed above the ceiling. You know, and, and we weren't going to change gravity, you know, and, and, and you could, you could say that was an, not, it wasn't, it wasn't a well integrated team. They, they were. Um, one person missed it, 
you know, and is, is that lack of integration? Is it because everyone's too busy? It's because designers are bidding on margins of 4% and they got to take on more work to pay for the last work and it's just a terrible business model? Sure, but I mean, our team, including the designers, you know, I won't let them mention that again. You know, it's eight feet. We're moving on. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, you know, no reason to dwell. On there's the past, like, so and, and then we're going to make a mistake, you know, a week from now. And, and so I think, I think we are more integrated than we get credit for. And, you, you know, we're, I mean, the coolest part about construction is you're given a set of plans, you know, a calendar, a bucket of money and 12 strangers to go build something with. <laughs> Man, what could go wrong? <laughs> right? Right. Like, I mean, but I mean, that's the coolest part. Like, you have to, like, the first day of your, like, like, I tell people if you're the kind of person that, you know, baseball season, I play baseball through uh, forever. And, you know, the team names are coming out in the beginning, like in April for the summer league. Yeah. You got to be excited to see who's on your team. You can't mm-hmm. be talking about last year's good team. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you because know, you emotionally get stuck there. You're not, so I think that's the cool, optimistic part of construction. And, and your professional worth is your professional network. Mm-hmm. So the more you work in an area, the more you develop those relationships. So we're fortunate to work with, on our smaller jobs, the same architects. You know? and, and like we know each other's kids' names. We know what's going on. You know, he knows I'm terrible at certain things. I know he's awful at certain things, you know? And we balance each other out. So I think it's more integrated than we think. I think if those stereotypes are there, it's shame on the faculty that are keeping them going. Mm. Oh God, that's such a good point because you have this really unique opportunity to shift perception or, or, you know, give them an entirely new framework for thinking about how projects can and should operate. And that could change once they take on an internship and they you know, join a project team. But I'm so glad that you're so committed to instilling that at Rinker with those students to, you know, to just think not and not sort of enter the industry already jaded or already with this lens of no one gets along and that's just the way it is. Yeah. I, I think it's the opposite. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, they, they know what they see. So I went to Rinker and and just, I don't want to lose anybody with, with quick math, but you know, if you're taking four basic classes a semester for four semesters, it's 16 core classes you take, right? So if I have three or four guest lectures in that class at Rinker, they were all project managers. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't create a superintendent experience because none of them had a superintendent taught. So now, you know, in my classes, they have four superintendents come taught. Mm-hmm. So now we're having, you know, 10, 15 of the kids graduate wanting to be superintendents. So good. You know, so, and I asked, you, you know, for faculty or other institutions, how many guest lectures do you have by architects? How many guest lectures do you have by, you know, structural engineers? And the answer is none. So if they don't know it, you know, you only, you know, I, unless you try it, you don't know what it is. No, I, I think it's so important to add the different perspectives because, mm-hmm. you know, someone sitting in the room may want to go on a completely different track based on right. what they hear and who they hear it from. And, you know, so many programs, whether it's just 
their their industry advisory board is what they what they know what they're comfortable with maybe that doesn't have you know as many different perspectives on it like i think it's so great that you emphasize bringing in different types of people like an architect and superintendent or project manager um how would how would you suggest for let's say a new faculty member or a smaller program that's really looking to bolster their industry connections because it, it seems like you have so many across the board. I'm sure some of them have just come over time, you know, legacy connections you've made. But um, someone kind of starting out or uh, trying to improve in that area, what would you suggest to them? So I think um, I, I, I think what happens in some regards, or at least my experience with faculty, is it's either pride or concern that they they stay in their strength box and don't realize the other stuff that they're not good at. So if you gave them you know six learning outcomes and they were good at three of them and not good at the other three, they'd spend 15 weeks on the three they were good at and one week on the three they were bad at. So I think it's just kind of getting them to reflect on what their deliverable is and then understanding that the industry will do anything to support them. So I, I believe in one-to-one -one relationships for change. So what we do at Florida is we have course champions. So I'll assign an industry partner to visit with that professor once a semester, give a guest lecture. So they know August 1st and December 1st, I'm asking for that list. Because I tell the industry to put it in their calendars to call that professor on August 1st to plan their fall visit and December 1st to plan their spring visit. So, and then once you establish a one-run relationship, you're not calling a company to get an extra set of plans. You're calling Chad at Holder for mm -hmm. an extra set of plans. Yeah. You know, they're not coming at me to get them a concrete spec. They're calling, you know, Dan at Baker Concrete for a high slump concrete spec. You, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I think that's how you influence change. I get really disappointed in people when they talk about companies I get instead of people. So we'll mm -hmm. do it on the job site. It's like, hey, I don't want to hear the architect's company. I want to hear the person. You know, I mm -hmm. want to know you're calling Janet, not the company. Right. You know, and I think once you realize that and you can, it becomes fun. And, you know, some of those relationships last and then some don't and you got to start another one. You know, like, hey, that you know, that the person with that company didn't call me August 1st. Well, did you call them? Wow. They, you know, okay, fine. I'll find somebody else, <laughs> you know? And, and then when the pitch to the company is, hey, there's got to be somebody in your company that loves to go buy Gator Swag or go across yeah. the street and have beer where they used to when they were 21. Find that person who wants to come and all of this will come together. So I have a slew of those people and a drawer full of T-shirts I give away when they show up. Um to kind of reinforce that, you know, that positive reinforcement, giving somebody a good experience. Um, I tell the companies, if you have a young person that you think may be headed towards HR, you know, they have that skill set, they think they might want to recruit, send that person, you know, and then tie it to the career fair. So the, the person that they come see is the person they see when they're asking for a job. So you mm. can kind of align efforts to get the best yield for everyone because the student's more comfortable, the faculty is more comfortable the career fair goes better, yeah. you know, it's not, and it, it's zero effort. Like that conversation is not a lot of work for me, you know, but the outcome is, is pretty significant for everyone involved, you know, but it's, 
you know, it's people don't have time, people don't have the connections, people don't know where to start. So I have a list I pass around the faculty meeting and I'm like, here you go, just fill it out. Just tell me what you need. You know, and by the next day, uh, everyone's getting emails and everybody's getting phone calls and it's literally zero effort. Matchmaking. It's a little bit of matchmaking. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's an amazing program. I haven't heard of other well, schools it, it, doing this. It's just like the emphasis that Jim puts on the, the personal connections yes. for the success of a job, Those. for the faculty to you know, find what they need right. from industry to be successful. It's just, I think that's an the overarching one -one theme is connection. just make those personal connections to yield the best outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, you know, the, the real thing for me is it's, uh, it's obviously less work for me over time. Right. Of course. Yeah. You know, like I, I just don't have time to do it every day. Mm -hmm. So if I can set certain ones up that just run on their own, then that, you know, so it's a little bit of, Yes, it's nice that we do it, but it's also a model that runs without my input at some point, mm -hmm. right? Like, so for those directors of school that think it's too much work or too much of a heavy lift, it actually takes more off your plate yeah. than puts on it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. This has been so wonderful. We're so glad to have been able to talk to you, Jim. Thank you for your time. Miles, do you have any other questions or no, anything? Just thanks so much for your time. Okay. Appreciate being here. Hope you uh, have a great week in, in Sparks, Nevada. Here. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Sparks. <laughs> thanks. I'll be I'll be by a lake <laughs> shortly, slightly outside of Sparks. Mm, adjacent to. <laughs> adjacent to. Other yeah. side of the tracks. There you go. <laughs> Good. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome.